0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I asked myself, who is someone I see as a master of the craft of economics? And one person rose to my mind. Every time I see him write about an economics topic, his thinking is clear Careful and interesting. This is the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby.
1: Yeah, he's not talking about Steve Keen, by the way. <laughs> I picked that up from a podcast called Market Power. But what is the answer to that question? Which of the economists who've written books that might actually be worth reading during this holiday season? Debunking Economics is not one of them. Maybe we'll take that as read. So instead, gift token in hand, book voucher in hand, let's go shopping. So Christmas time. It's time with the family. And, uh, you know, what well that means you'll probably get a bit bored fairly soon. Won't you? You've probably got some book vouchers as well that you've got to spend. So here's how we can help you through that festive period. We've got a bunch of books to use those tokens on so you can still have time with the family. But, you know, while they're watching Strictly Come Dancing, you can be sitting in the corner uh, reading about economics or Income diversity or uh, is capitalism a science? The shortfalls of capitalism, all of that, uh, whilst the rest of them are stuck into the TV. uh, You can still, obviously, partake of the alcohol. So what do you buy? Actually, Steve, this is a question you often get asked, isn't it? And I get asked sometimes as well, uh, particularly from newer listeners who are saying, well, you know, we're interested about all of this. We want to read more. Where do we start? So you've got some books. I've got some books, some of which you might not like, but I think are still worth dipping into. And we've got one or two fun ones as well. But let's start with, uh, because it's so fundamental, isn't it, to actually understanding how economics works, double-entry bookkeeping. Now, if you're an accountant, actually, you know what, even if you are an accountant, I suspect you're not that familiar with double-entry bookkeeping these days because you're probably using a software package that does it all for you. So understanding double-entry bookkeeping – it's pretty fundamental to understanding how the economy really works, isn't
2: it? Yeah, but this second isn't this book isn't so much about uh, how it, how to do it as how it was first invented and uh, the history of its uh, evolution in Italy back I think of the 1500s. I haven't read it for a while, but it's a great read because I mean, frankly, you know the usual story. Uh, the the, the, uh, the people say that somebody becomes an economist because they lack the personality and the subway fare to be an accountant. Uh, it's not exactly regarded as an exciting profession, uh, but Jane Gleason white does a wonderful job of, of making it extremely interesting how the concept of double entry bookkeeping came about. And uh for, for people who are you know, especially people who know something about modern monetary theory, um, or even even more so people who don't and think that they could talk about money without understanding double entry bookkeeping, this is the book for you. And it's an easy read? It's an easy read. It's uh I mean if you if you talk you know, books on the anthropology of money, you normally get taught, you know, David Graeber's Step the First Five Thousand Years, which is a great book. And uh, there's one other I'd mention there as well, which is I've suddenly forgotten the the name. Felix Martin, the uh, Money, the Unauthorized Biography. So they're both great on the history of how money came about. But money these days fundamentally is an exercise in double-entry bookkeeping. And that actual is a story in its own right, which Jane Gleason White tells extremely well. And the book is just called Double Entry, isn't it? So uh, you've given one. Let me start with a
1: very, very, very simple book. Uh, which actually isn't really about economics, and some of it I, mean, I think is a bit dubious, but it's a fun read for Christmas, and actually a good one to give if you've got someone who's not really interested in economics except at a very base level. It's called The Economic Naturalist. It's by a guy called Robert Frank. Why e- economics explains almost everything. So it's got, and it's got a picture on the front, and this is an example of. Just the shallowness of the whole book, but it's still fun. Uh, There's a picture of a milk carton on the front, a square milk carton. So, of course, it's making the point inside, why are milk cartons square? And you know the answer to that. As everyone, you know, everyone can guess at that. It's so that they can be stacked easily, so you get more shelf space, e- easier to transport, all that sort of stuff. So it goes through a whole lot of stuff like that. It's not, it doesn't get deep. It's a good book for Christmas for somebody, perhaps, um, about you know, just fundamental things that we, uh, that, you know, that we see every day and how much of. Them. Does it
2: mention supply and demand? Uh, no, I
1: don't think it does anywhere in the book. Actually, you'll be very pleased. Well, that's to
2: know. good. Okay. Yeah.
1: okay, so it's yeah. actually worth reading. Okay, <laughs> well, I think it's... I mean, I read. I've read. Most most no, of it a lot of it, I was thinking. Well, this is a bit of the bleeding obvious, but it's it's still it's still fun, and it makes you think a little bit. So that's so that's mine. Uh-huh. Okay, what have you got next?
2: Well, I've done, I mean, I haven't got my in front of me, mate. So you better check your mic microphone to Oh shoot well, it. okay. Have, uh, how well, cover, how
1: nature works: the science of
2: self-organized uh, criticality. criticality. That was indeed,
1: the one I was going to pull out. That sounds fact. like the opposite extreme from the book I've just
2: been Actually, talking. Actually, no, it's not. It's it's a beautifully written book. Per Back, It's a crazy name. but That literally is his name. His first name is Per, and his second name is Back, B A K. Talk about cutting out the complexity in one's name. Uh, But he's actually talking about one of the most difficult subjects to comprehend. And that's, what does it mean to say something is complex? And the example, he was actually responsible for the mathematics of this example, which he does in a very, very simple way in the book. And that is, what makes a pile of sand fall? You know, if you're at the beach... British people don't know what a beach is, don't they? Mm, well, yeah, if they've been overseas, yeah. Otherwise, they know what a mud flat pretending to be a beach okay, is. Fair yeah. Okay, okay. fair enough. You've been to Spain, you know, you're lying, you... You, you pick a big, it's called it's white, okay, and it's lumpy stuff, and you pick it up and you drop a grain at a time, and, and for a while what would happen is that it, pardon me being facetious there, but I do come from Sydney, so I'm, I'm allowed a bit of license at this time of year. Yeah, anyway, yeah. we've seen it in egg timers in this country. We know oh, what okay, it is. Okay, okay, okay. So you're dropping mm. grains of sand on the beach, and for a while what happens is a triangle or a pyramid forms, and then you keep on dropping it, and suddenly there's a clump, a collapse in the... In the sand, and then you get another broader um, pyramid, and then you keep on doing it. The pyramid, you know, roughly speaking, pyramidal shape, gets broader and broader and broader with a series of cascades when the height of the pyramid gets too high to support the current angle, and then it falls down again. And I can't remember the actual details of the mathematics, but he goes through showing what the critical value is working with you know, dry sand at the point at which the angle gets too steep for the system to hold. And what, you, what you, you do not get a gradual transition, what you get is it stacks up for a while then it collapses, stacks and then collapses. and That complex uh, dynamic is extremely well explained by Purbach, and he goes for several other very useful examples as well. So it's a fabulous book to get your head around one of the most complicated concepts which is I love complexity,
1: that. I, and that you know is so much about where we've gone wrong in economics, isn't it? Because we, you would we, enjoy it, mate. I'd, mm, did, I'd recommend you know, it to you. Yeah, is yeah, that, no, exactly. If I, it if is, I
2: it wasn't being totally broken, stingy, I'd send you it as a Christmas present. <laughs> but I know, I know that.
1: Okay, well, I'll uh, yeah, I'll pay for it out of my own money. But yeah, no, or, that, okay, or I'll, okay. I'll almost only get a book token. Uh, but um, yeah, or oh, you know what it is, I write it off against the business. Yeah, it, there you go. It uh, well,
2: is a business expense. <laughs> well, something. it is. It's yeah. fair
1: enough, isn't it? I've got to talk to you. I need to know what you're talking about. I've got to be able to call you out. So I need to read these things. So, yeah, no, that does sound good. I mean, this is where we've gone wrong with economics because we don't assume that those sudden changes, almost like those tipping points, the same as, you know, where we're going wrong with climate Exactly
2: like a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. We just assume that they don't exist. That's called a cusp catastrophe, C-U-S-P, catastrophe, by the way. And he explains those as well. So you have a period of gradual change. And it's a, this is imagined like you've got an overhanging cliff and they're pushing the overhang further and further forward. Rather, you've got a, a slope and the and, and, you know, geo, uh, geographical forces or tectonic forces are pushing it further. At some point, it goes from being a, a, a slope to a cliff to a precipice. And then, of course, going over the edge of one has a dramatically different impact on going over the edge of the other. So he explains that as well. So,
1: uh, look, I was in a bookshop uh, – Earlier this year, maybe tail end of last year, and uh, and looking at books, wondering what next to buy, and somebody a total stranger, because we're all sort of like in that same area, sort of like you know the economics and uh, history area of the the he, bookshop. You went in
2: personal, personal
1: he, to sell. You know, okay, the bit right, of the bookshop okay. that's normally deserted. So actually, if someone else is there, you feel like you've got to talk to them, and they feel like they've got to talk to you. So this guy just pointed to this book mm-hmm. and says, "You've got to read this." And it was uh, haju Chang's 23 Things They Don't Tell You About Capitalism, which is a uh, mm-hmm. a very yep. easy read. And have you read it? And is there anything you disagree with? It's pretty spot on, isn't Look, it?
2: I'm afraid I've got a copy and I haven't read it yet. It's one of those things. I'm too busy writing books to read others. So uh, well, it is on my list of entries in my current Kindle collection to to read, but I haven't got there yet. Well, I mean, those 23 things, thing
1: number one, just to get you off on the straight and narrow, there's no such thing as a free market. You know, it starts there, and, and it yeah. starts to delve deeper about the things that we should, take. Maybe you should send it to John Hearn. <laughs> I'm not even going to enter into that. Do you think he? So John Hearn is sorry. a guy who who just keeps on tweeting us, doesn't he? He's sort of like he's he does. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a nice bloke. Yeah, I'm he's sure nice he is. Bloke. But, but he's with a bookshelf book in his mouth, so he couldn't talk. Well, you know, I know some people who are great people, but they also have this expression. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Uh, and uh, you can't you can't go back to them and say, well, have you ever thought that you might be wrong? No, you're wrong. I just get the impression that he's exactly. he's that sort yep. of guy. Yeah, yeah. So yep. anyway, mm-hmm. this is a, a very good read, and for everybody, again, you know, you don't need to be interested in economics. It's it's written uh, at such a you know basic level. But it really does dispel the myths that a free enterprise. So, uh, and it's funny as well. That's the other good thing about it as well. The guy's got a sense of humor. He's got a
2: good sense of humor. So, twenty-three
1: things they don't tell you about capitalism. Haju Chang is on your Christmas shopping list as well. While we're getting through them, Uh, Minsky, can it happen again? Yeah,
2: this is actually I shouldn't. This to Paul Krugman uh, because oh, over a decade ago now, after the financial crisis, Krugman said he was going to read Minsky. And uh, and he then he mentioned he's chosen Minsky's latest book, Stabilizing an Unstable Economy. And I just I I sort of face palmed. If you don't know Minsky, then it's an obvious title to buy. If you do know Minsky, you know that he spent fifteen years writing the bloody thing. He'd already written a major book called John Maynard Keynes, which is not a biography, it's actually him stating his financial instability hypothesis in great detail, and he called it after Keynes in basically in, in a tribute to Keynes, because Minsky himself had not read Keynes uh, until in the mid-1960s, when he developed his hypothesis back in the mid-1950s. And he got the shock of his life when he read Keynes in the original, rather than reading what he got in textbooks. And that's why he named this book after Keynes. Anyway, he was then asked to write a second book by the same publishers, Edward Elger. And I've lost touch with them, but I knew the Edgar family quite well. And they told me he spent 15 years writing the damn thing, and never actually properly finished it, and really couldn't think of anything else new to say. And I regard it as a useless book. So, if you want to read the heavy-duty stuff, then read the book John Maynard Keynes by Minsky. But if you want to get to know him in an afternoon, then buy a copy of Can It Happen Again? It, in inverted commas, happen again. And that's a fabulous selection of essays. Minsky wrote extremely well in the short and pretty poorly in the long. So, one of these, one or two of these. Um, short chapters by Minsky. You'll understand what he's talking about. It's a much more realistic picture of capitalism financial capitalism anything else I've ever read. Uh, he's not strong on the production side of things, which tends to apply to most people who work in monetary theory. But he's certainly strong on how the monetary system works and how it causes instability in a capitalist economy. And that's a great read. So read that and you'll be damn sight smarter than Paul Krugman, <laughs> which is a low bar, but nonetheless. Ooh,
1: well, it's
2: funny you should say that. I'll come on to that in a second. So this is 20 short
1: essays by Minsky, it's called. Can it happen again? Essays on instability and finance. Okay, well, that's uh, that's a good call. Uh, so, yeah. It's worth reading a bit of Paul Krugman, though, isn't it? Just to see what you agree and disagree with. Because there's oh, no. – I've read too much. So I read Endless This Depression Now, which is, uh, you know, about the <laughs> –
2: Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I sent a pirate. I was sent a pirate copy of that by somebody who was pissed off that it was being published in the first place so that I can have a go at it before it came out. But anyway, tell us about well, it. Well,
1: so – Look, I mean, th- I know the the biggest difference between you and Krugman is that, I mean, he doesn't get this whole thing about debt, does he? I mean, he he certainly no, fits into that school of thought that if I borrow money off you, then you've got the money. Therefore, there's you know, the, the, there's been no change in the uh, amount of money that's in in circulation. He's he's and therefore
2: no change in aggregate demand. Yeah, he's a
1: long way from MMT, but he is. Um, I mean, he is Keynesian in, in, in his approach in that he does believe at a downturn. This whole book really is about the, uh, you know, the, the, the depression we thought we were heading to in 2008. We never, never really got quite as far as we thought it did. It would, did it. But, I mean, his whole point of that is that it's got to be, we've got to public spend our way out of it. You know, he wasn't – he's not in that extreme of saying, well, we've got to reduce government spending. He is – No, the, he was in the... good.
2: And that's, that's, where he's, that's where he's worthwhile. I mean, the pity is that I regard him as a bit like John Hicks without the uh, intellectual development that John Hicks went with over time because Hicks wrote a simplified version of Keynes, which had nothing to do with Keynes. It was called uh, – uh, uh, um, what is it called? Mr. Keynes and the Classic, a suggested interpretation. This is an essay back in the 1930s. And all the neoclassicals read that rather than reading Keynes, thought they'd read Keynes, and then we got what they called Keynesian economics afterwards, which anybody who knows Keynes actually titled Bastard Keynesies. and That was john robinson's term for it so krugman is a bastard keynesianism and his bastards go he ain't too bad yeah and you know and he acknowledges
1: he's not one of these people as well who says if you've got more money you've got more inflation
2: no no he's been you know, he's, yeah, more uh, realistic yeah. big
1: big graph here showing uh, the reserve balances with the federal reserve banks and how much it's skyrocketed since 2009 uh, without seeing inflation, who's res- uh, resulting from from all of that, uh. so I think there's a lot in that book you would agree with. Uh, it's just he just needs to take that final step and and acknowledge, and I'm sure he does acknowledge that bank loans create money. I'm sure he acknowledges that. No, he doesn't. Mm. Well I mean that's okay. you don't I mean that's how he, deep... he
2: models banks he's he's a great fan of the loanable funds model of banking mm. and the loanable funds model of banking says that banks are intermediaries between savers and, and borrowers and all the stuff he's all you know he's he's, he's example of a uh, uh Oh, anything he does he's all about learnable funds and that's the myth that the Bank of England tried to knock out, out of the ballpark in 2014 and they're still regurgitating it today and that's what they gave Bernanke effectively the Nobel Prize for so no he doesn't understand banking
1: right what he does have in his favor is he's very easy to read isn't he which is why he's oh yeah which is yeah, why he's yeah. so successful I mean he's a
2: laxative intellectual laxative <laughs> <Yep>. sorry
1: and <laughs> I'm sure you could say it is Christmas, good I'm allowed him. to be uncharitable <laughs> Bower <laughs> yeah, well, handbag. Look, we're going to take, this a short I'm one today, you're for your family. so we're going to have to get a quick break in now because we've got a few more books to look okay. at uh, when we come back. It's the Debunking Economics uh, Christmas special uh, back in just a second.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to health care. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby.
1: Well, we're looking at books that you could buy yourself or buy someone you love. Well, maybe they won't love you afterwards uh, if they're not into economics. Hey, darling, i bought you an economics textbook. Thank, uh, thank you. Uh, I look at that. Yes, here's I, your I,
2: divorce papers. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. I bought you some divorce papers. Here you go. Um, so uh, we'll come to you. It's. I mean, it's, it uh, is it your turn or my turn? I think I just said Paul Krugman. I'm going to throw another one in there. You did. You was, one of mine. Everyone was, to remind everyone me everyone was I said, confused. Yeah? Everyone was confused by the break. Uh, so uh, yeah. another easy read. I'm doing all the easy reads. Well, yours are easy as well, aren't they, I think? Um, is, you know, we don't So, Janos uh, Farfakis, another good writer. Yeah. And his Excellent book, which, Talking to My Daughter, The Brief History of Capitalism, I think, I haven't read any of his others, but this is a great book, and I've only just recently mm. read it. So, this is him uh, with, uh, I think he wrote it in a couple of weeks, uh, On an Island in Greece, Uh, Mm -hmm. because he's trying to explain how the economy really worked to his daughter. And it's a great book.
2: And one of the honors book I have read is Adults in the Room. And I have to say that read like a novel. The opening scene actually has... and Giannis This was about the
1: EU and Greek debt and...
2: His own experience being finance minister for Greece, which he had no intention of ever becoming, but it just mm. it happened by out of the politics of the, of the Grecian elections under the austerity of the EU after the financial crisis. And it's a brilliant read. I really think it should be made into a movie. Um, so I, I, I've known artist for, Jesus, 40 years now, and... Whenever I first met him, he's one of the few people I know who speaks not only in completely formed paragraphs, but with with the intonation of somebody who's doing Shakespearean uh, play reading. And the reason for that is he actually learnt, and I know this from knowing him personally, of course. He learnt to to speak English by reading Shakespearean plays, so he he's he's got the talent to write that. He speaks in sonnets. Speaks and sonnets, and it's uh, I have absolute confidence that that book would be as, as great a read as uh, adults in the room, right?
1: So, anything by Yanis Varoufakis then really should be on the uh, yep. should be on the Christmas list. All right, one of yours then. Uh, our yep. final so, we're on to climate change now. Uh, our final warning six degrees of climate emergency.
2: Yeah, this uh, I mean, Mark Linus wrote this book, and I've met Mark when, when I was in England. And the only complaint I have about the book is that, being not being an academic, he hasn't given uh, actual journal page references and so on for the claims that he makes, which would be a great pity because what he's done, which is an enormous amount of work, he's gone through all the various predictions of climate scientists, people who know what the hell they're talking about rather than bloody economists on climate change. He's gone through all the papers he can find and ranked their predictions by by degrees Celsius increase. And, uh, you know, one degree you start getting a a range of uh, potential troubles, like, you know, with the, the Arctic summer sea ice disappears. Two degrees, more damages, uh, and then he goes through all the sorts of damages which can occur. So one of my favorites to talk about is the prediction from uh, Philip Anderson, who just happens to be professor of atmospheric chemistry at Harvard University, and the man who identified the hole in the ozone layer back in the late 80s, he predicts that about three degrees of warming or or less uh, will cause the ozone layer to break down. So there's things like that, and there's insect plagues and all sorts of things that that Linus is organized very carefully in one, two, three, four, five, and six. And you know, by the time you get to the number three, you don't want to go any further. An economist, I'm just reading a paper by a bunch of economists now, that predicts a 17% fall in GDP with an eight degree increase in temperature. The line has stopped at six because by that stage most life forms are extinct. Um, Would well, they so say was that GDP really know per
1: capita what that they were talking about? That uh, you know, because um, GDP, a GDP in total. Okay, I was yeah. going to say because it might be per yeah. capita, it might be seventeen percent. You know, if the if the population of the world is halved, uh, those that are left will see their GDP falling by seventeen percent. But the only uh,
2: living population at <laughs> like that age, degrees warming is going to have uh, alligator skins and not human. Right. Okay. Well, there's some people like that in far north okay. Queensland. Uh, That's (laughs)
1: true. And in economics. (laughs) And economics as well. Sorry. All right. So, all right. Well,
2: okay, okay. So uh, it's hardly a. a, They say Mark Linus, six degrees. If you want to. Vinny says, what's this this, uh, global warming all about? Read Mark Linus. we get an idea of why I, in particular, am so terrified by the stuff that economists are blasé
1: about. But do you know what? People will still be split, won't we? There'll be people who'll go, oh, this is
2: all just alarmist nonsense. Yeah, sure. They can read the news reports in a year's time or 10 years' time if they're lucky. Yeah,
1: well, it keeps on happening, doesn't it? I mean, you know, just in uh, talking about Far North Queensland, I mean, Cairns Airport, um, underneath, uh, underwater. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a great
2: way to fly. If you hop in a plane, uh, get your paddle out, rotor the the runway. Fight off the crocodiles. (laughs) Planes were actually floating at Cairns Airport. Yeah, yeah, astonishing. Was it two meters of rain in two days? Uh, something like that.
1: Yeah, it was. I don't know the. Mm, I don't know mm. the numbers behind it. I do know there was a news report I saw and there's this far north Queensland going, Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a problem, especially with the Crocs, uh, <laughs> which of course you know everyone everyone around the world will love. You know, a far north Queenslander talking about yeah, got a bit of a bit of a problem with the Crocs out of here at the airport. Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, so there we are. It keeps on happening, doesn't it? All right, so it's my turn now, isn't it? Uh, what am I going to go for? Yep. Uh, i mean surprised you didn't have Mariano Mazzucato, uh, Mazzucato, I should say, in your list. So The Entrepreneurial State, debunking public versus private sector myths is a good read as well. It or, is, sure. it is. There's I mean, got to be an understanding of this that, uh, you know, the, the public sector doesn't always – do everything better and you would have thought by now particularly people living in the uk everyone would have got used to the idea and i know you keep on rabbiting on about uh, uk trains but they are a great case in point aren't they but i mean also you know health uh, the us is uh, you know has a predominantly private health system they spend twice as much uh, on health as we do in the uk they've got a life expectancy that's less than in the uk uh, but the UK, um, and we'll talk about this in in, uh, in next week's episode. The UK health system is sort of like being driven towards privatization by the government not investing in the public sector. So, in that context, this is an important book for everybody. Well, yeah,
2: Mar- I think, actually, we suggest reading Mariana's book in conjunction with Bill Janeways. Uh, it was called "Doing Capitalism In," and I've forgotten the rest of the title at the moment. But what what they both emphasize fundamentally is that one of innovation is funded by people who can afford to lose money. And in that case, the two groups that can afford to lose money are multi-billionaire venture capitalists and the government. Okay. So the government what that means is that you can try things, you can be innovative because it doesn't matter if you lose money. Whereas for most most people they try to innovate something that doesn't work, they're bankrupt and they're out of the game. So in that sense, there's a a reason to enable to expect innovation to be done both by the state and by wealthy individuals in a market economy, and there's a symbiosis between the two. It's not, you know, one is terrible, the other's great, or vice versa. They both have their roles, and you'll get out of reading Mariana with Bill Janeway you'll get a good picture on how innovation is funded, if not actually done. Doing Capitalism in the
1: Innovation Economy is what the book's called, actually.
2: There it is. Well done. Thank you. So, uh, all
1: right. We're almost there. This is a very short episode this week, but, you know, we've got to give you time to get on Mm -hmm. and read these books. Uh, So a non-economics book. Uh, I've got one. You've got one. This is is a book I'm going to start reading in a second, Um, uh, just as soon as we finish talking, Steve. Um, (laughs) David Mitchell... Because I just wanted to read a book that wasn't about economics, actually, but I still wanted to learn some stuff. And so I was in a bookshop. I read a couple of pages in the bookshop, and I thought, yeah, this looks amusing. Plus, I need to get up on all of this stuff. Uh, David Mitchell, Unruly, A History of England's Kings and Queens. And the reason I wanted to read this is because my wife has just undergone the residency test for the UK, and she had to do this speed learning course on English history, which in Australia, of course, you don't do a great deal on. Uh, so she had to get up to speed with, you know, England's kings and queens, because you get asked a lot of questions um, as part of your residency test these
2: days. So you going have to back, go, they're going back past Fergie here, are they?
1: Yeah, well okay. past. You know, we're going back uh-huh. to, you know, uh, the Norman Conquest. Queen Elizabeth. And, uh, oh, OK. You know, okay. Yeah, you know, oh. the whole history. I and mean, there's a lot of history in the UK. Uh, so I thought, uh, as she was doing all of that, I was thinking... Cranky, She knows more about it than I do now. So I should have paid more attention at history at school. My daughter's I'm madly keen on history. So I'm thinking, yeah, I need to catch up on this. And David Mitchell, I don't know if you know he who he is, but if you've ever seen Would I Lie to You, he's one of the panel members on that. He was uh, also in a show called The Peep Show. He's anyway. He's a funny guy. He writes really well. I think he writes for one of the newspapers. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, so this is that. That's my book, um, which is new out. Uh, Unruly: The History of Kings and Queens from David Mitchell. Your book, I mean, goes back to actually you've said it's 2003 it has to be earlier than that the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the oh this is the it actually the re-
2: final version the final, right. the the, num- the the fifth and volume in the trilogy was published in 2003 and this is all five together so we read, read out the title well you've got the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the
1: original radio scripts now you know what it was yep. uh, I was just oh. a young lad uh, I don't know how old I be I'd be about 10 or 12 or something so uh, in the 70s, I think, is when it all started, wasn't it? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. on Radio 4. And I actually heard mm-hmm. the first episode, the very first time it was aired. And, uh, yeah. Well, that
2: makes – that's something in common because so did I. I actually remember sitting in a share house in uh, Newtown in the, uh, 19, uh, in the 1970s. Um, and there comes the tune. da 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 And off we go with that absolutely wonderfully crazy story of Arthur Dent and his uh, – Friend Ford Prefect that actually came not from Islington but from a, a, a star system close to Betelgeuse, and the raised arrival of the Vocon constructor fleet that was about to destroy Earth to make way for a hyperbus spy. It is the most brilliantly written, idiosyncratic, hilarious piece of writing. I've ever read, I should say. And whenever I need a break from the real world because it's too damn crazy here, I go off and read Douglas's wonderful imagination. And the un- only thing is, the craziness people are starting to forget.
1: Craziness yep. might have been surpassed by uh, by reality, but yeah, I mean, there's some, I mean, some, you know, there's some fantastic ideas. Like for example, if we could just uh, fuel uh, spacecraft by. The infinite improbability, by yeah, infinite improbability. Yeah, and like it's, so, you have the infinite improbability. And drive. And there's such
2: wonderful um, comments and like, like talking about the invention of the infinite improbability drive. That was invented uh, by taking a finite improbability drive and dropping it into a good brownian motion generator, such as a good cup of hot cup of tea. And uh, when this was done, it was done by a graduate graduate party, graduate student cleaning up after a particularly unsuccessful party. And just reasoning that he could do it, so he did it and invented it out of thin air. And he was then about to be awarded the Galactic Nobel Prize for Physics when he was suddenly lynched by a bunch of physicists who realised what they really couldn't stand was a smart-ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel very sympathetic towards. That I don't know. No, I am um, wondering
1: whether, which character in it you're based on actually. And then I was thinking maybe I
2: You haven't you're not reading the blog? Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I know the only reason for that is because of course, he was the only man who was put into the what did they call it the the vortex where you were presented with the whole
2: the p- perspective the, the perspective total perspective vortex, vortex
1: yeah. that's right where you were presented that's with right, yeah. the whole of mankind the, and humanity and the world and, the, and universe, the universe and just the sheer yeah the and the sheer enormity of it and. Are you in relation to it all, with a tiny, tiny micro dot with a little arrow saying "you are here," uh, which apparently blows most people's brains out. But Zaphod Beeblebrox just made him realise just how important he was to. The I, that's not quite why. So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> you.
2: <laughs> he had to go through. He had that's to go <laughs> a particular window. Remember, out of the building of the of the uh, what's it called, the uh, Serious Cybernetics Corporations. Uh, book publishing wing. yeah. Uh, but anyway, my my thing is more whether you have these crazy ideas that occur in my head, I have no idea where they come from and they end up making sense. That was why I went for Zaphod rather than Ford Prefect, who was my previous choice. But people, if you haven't read hitchhiker guy to the galaxy and you want to get an escape from the madness of the real world, then jump into uh, uh, Adams's brilliant imagination and you'll be transported and you'll be laughing and just, you'll forget the garbage that's going on all around you. It's absolutely worth it. I'd hate to see that book got forget forgotten just by the passage of time. I don't think it ever will be. I don't think it ever
1: will be. Uh, so, okay, well, there we are. We've come to the end. Look, I've got a couple of books, which I haven't read yet, which I've uh, got ready for the, over the Christmas. Uh, so the euro and its threat to the future of Europe, Joseph Stiglitz, have you read that? No,
2: but again, Joe somebody I do respect. I've read his previous book uh, about globalization, and I thought it was both well-written and quite brave because he well and truly stepped outside the boundaries of the, of the profession and uh, actually supported one of his daughters on a march. Uh, an anti-globalization march way back in the early 2000s, which is why I wrote the book. So uh, again, again, Joe's one of the mainstream that I have a lot of time for. And I think somebody told us uh, we
1: should read Ben Steele's book on the Battle of Bretton Woods, which I haven't read yet. I got a copy of it, but I haven't read yet.
2: I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. And it really does point out the impact that just two individuals can have because uh, Harry uh, Dexter White, who... Really it was just happened to be a, the right a bureaucrat in the right place at the wrong time, really set, set up the shape of the of the global financial system and overwhelmed Keynes, who had the sensible idea of bringing about an international currency he got there Keynes got there in a weird way but f- because he strongly maintains in some ways british influence but uh, the, it, it's a very it's a very good overview of how we got ended up in Harry White's world, and Harry White's world is where we should not have ended up.
1: And I'm halfway through reading, and this will surprise you. Mervyn King, former Bank of England governor, the end of alchemy, oh,
2: really? money
1: banking in the future. Oh, yeah. So what did you make of that?
2: Yeah. I mean, again, uh, Mervyn... It's
1: surprising. Gave- I mean, he's not... He, he, you know, he acknowledges... Uh, well, I mean, uh, I guess he was from the Bank of England. The Bank of England has acknowledged the role of uh, uh, of, of private banks in the creation of debt. So at least least he's, you know, at least he's partway there.
2: Well, it was actually staff within the bank then rather than the managing people like Mervyn that acknowledged that. And I, I know the individuals who wrote that paper and I've got a great deal of time for them. Mervin's a decent human being. And, and, and you know, if you have somebody coming from a, if like you come from a religion that tells you something can't happen and that happens, uh, then people are going to be in shock. And Mervyn was probably better at most than admitting what happened is not what they expected and having some attempt to search for what the cause as might be. Um, but and if you want to read something which makes sense on debt, read, read Anne Pettifor any day. I can't believe we've not mentioned Anne Well, but- we have now. So and, and a book by Anne, definitely worth reading. Uh, uh, and she's just published a new one, actually, but I haven't had a chance to read. So Anne Pettifor's book I'd also put on that list. But reading Mervyn will give you an idea both of, of what the crisis felt, what, what the crisis felt like to somebody who had no idea what was going to happen. Read Anne and you'll see why it did happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love her
1: observation uh, to people who just hadn't thought about government debt, that if there was no government debt, there would be no bonds. And, you know, the fact that, you know, people in the establishment, in government in the United States, that hadn't even occurred to them. You know, there's so much of the... Uh, you know, trading on the financial markets is dependent on uh, on the trading of bonds without people even realizing what those bonds represent. It's a bit astonishing,
2: isn't it? The whole bloody field of economics is astonishing and not in a good way. (laughs) All right, well, look. On which Note. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Happy reading. Listen, if
1: you've never listened to us before, you've got Steve on a good day. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> next week, uh, we are back to looking at, you know, uh, subjects in detail. Uh, we've just had a junior doctor's strike in the UK. So are junior doctors underpaid? And what have we paid them more? Where does the money come from? Uh, and, uh, and, and is the government in the UK actually trying to run down the health service. This is a leading question. Are they trying to run down the health service so they can privatise it? Uh, the answer to that is yes, by the way, if you haven't got time to listen next week. But anyway, we'll do that all in a bit more detail. Catch us next week. Have a great... Uh, enjoy the rest of the, the, the holiday season, Steve. we Well done, mate. Bye.
0: The Debunking Economics Podcast...